and thank you for listening to the Skeptics in the Pub online podcast. This unedited audio is taken from Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture and Why People Will Believe Anything by Kelly Weil. First broadcast live on the 24th of March 2022. A video recording of this and many other talks hosted by Skeptics in the Pub online are still available on our YouTube channel. We hope you enjoy this podcast and thank you for your support. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really excited to be here. I wish I were in the pub in real life, but uh, so it goes. And I'm very excited to get started. One caveat before we go, uh, Earth is round. I feel like I need to say this because we're going to spend quite a lot of time over the next hour with folks who believe it's flat. But we live in a round planet. It's a globe. It's an oblate spheroid. And I would just encourage folks to keep their uh, sanity seatbelts buckled as we go. So a bit about me. Uh, I am by day a reporter at the Daily Beast. I cover, as Michael said, conspiracy theories, disinformation, the internet, extremism, and all of those are fairly active beats right now. And all of those feed into uh, the book that I just published last month, Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. This book is a, um, it's an approach to belief. It was my attempt to explore why people will uh, hold strange conspiracy beliefs. And I used the lens of the Flat Earth Movement because it was really one of the more out there conspiracy theories that someone could buy into. So starting around 2017, I spent quite a lot of time both online and in person with Flat Earthers. I attended their conferences and in all of their Facebook groups, you know, we talked in the phone on the weekends. So this is a movement that is uh, dear to my heart in some ways, and I very strongly disagree with it. So, okay, what is flat earth theory? Um, like many actual scientific theories, which flat earth is not, there are some variations in the theory. There are some competing models and there will be some debates between flat earthers, but the broad strokes, they include that the belief that earth is a flat disc. It's not a, uh, a square, like a, a map of the world, but more like a pancake or a, a Frisbee. Flat earthers will also believe that the planet is surrounded by an ice wall. And the reason for that is very interesting. It comes out of the attempt to flatten the planet, to take the globe and turn it into something that could fit on a table. So what flat earthers will do is they effectively try and cut through the, uh, the bottom of the globe and lay it out flat so that the North Pole is uh, a center in, in the middle of this disk and Antarctica is like an ice wall surrounding the outside. That is their explanation for why water doesn't flow over the edge and uh, why you can't fall off the edge of the planet. Some flat earthers will further argue that Earth is enclosed within a dome, almost like a big snow globe. Uh, they call this dome the firmament, and they believe that things like the sun and the moon are actually within the dome, not without it. And quite a lot of flat earthers will also tell you that 
nothing exists outside the dome. They don't believe in outer space. They believe that the entirety of the universe is contained within this little snow globe. So I often have people ask me, well, do flat earthers believe other planets are round? Do they believe the moon is round? And to that I say, they don't really believe in other planets or the moon the way that you and I do. They believe that they are little lights within the firmament, fairly small and fairly close, and they're orbiting over top of us. And there are um, other alternate theories within flat Earth. Most flat Earthers do not believe in gravity, and they have various models to explain why gravity is or isn't real or why it is that we don't float away. Um, One of the most common models argues that we stay on the ground because of buoyancy, because we are denser than air is why we don't float away like a balloon. But there are other models of Flat Earth Society, which is uh, um, not a very popular model right now, but they argue that we are uh, accelerating upwards at a speed that generates one uh, G of force and that keeps us on the ground. So there are debates within Flat Earth, almost like a real scientific community, but it's a uh, highly counter-scientific. So all of those theories are wildly incorrect. They seem really difficult to accept on their face. But why do people believe in conspiracy theories? Contrary to what popular portrayals of uh, conspiracy theorists show, Conspiracy thinking isn't something that's just limited to people with tinfoil hats. It's actually part of a broader thought process that we're all susceptible to in some degree or another. Um, so, pardon me, folks. I I have to do the caveat that it's not COVID, but I do have a small cold. Um, so, when there are, there are a number of reasons people turn to conspiracy thinking. And again, that's something that we're all susceptible to, to a certain degree. One reason that people will embrace a conspiracy theory is it helps them explain uncertainty in moments that where they feel like they don't have enough information to understand the world around them. One less extreme example than Flat Earth is um, something that I observed personally in the Facebook groups I'm a member of. Um, I'm a member of multiple parenting Facebook groups because, you know, I'm a mom. And in early 2020, as uh, COVID-19 was hitting the U.S., I noticed a huge boom in conspiracy content in these groups. Why it was happening was that parents were, I think, very justifiably looking for information about COVID-19, which was a new and frightening and unexplained phenomena. And at that time, there wasn't a lot of reputable information from sources like the CDC in the U.S. So people turned to alternate explanations, uh, fringe websites that uh, promoted theories saying that COVID wasn't real or that maybe it was real, but you could cure it with uh essential oils and turmeric powder. And so those theories were alluring to people who didn't have any other information to go on. Another reason people turn to conspiracy theories is even if they do have enough information, they don't want to believe it. One example in the U.S. here is um, 
people who supported Donald Trump in the 2020 election and don't want to believe that he actually lost. So for those people, reality is hostile. It's not something they want to accept. And so they embrace conspiracy theories claiming that he uh, actually did win the election, but that voter fraud was the reason that he, uh, he was not sworn into office. Those conspiracy theories help people grapple with an uncomfortable reality by offering an alternative model of truth. And then a third reason is that conspiracy theories often help people feel better about themselves or about a group to which they belong. Um, you know, you can make that argument with uh, people who believe in election fraud conspiracy theories. They don't want to believe that their political tribe lost an election and an alternate theory makes them feel a bit better about themselves and about the group that they subscribe to. I've also seen this mode of thinking show up with people who believe in conspiracy theories like uh, gang stalking, which is a theory that claims that certain targeted individuals are being followed and inconvenienced by a vast cabal of evildoers who will plot to make the traffic lights red and knock into their uh, shopping basket in the supermarket. And for those people, they're able to take minor inconveniences, minor slights, and turn them into a theory about themselves that makes them feel central and special in this uh, broad scheme of the world. So with all that in mind and understanding that conspiracy theories are a very emotional, um, a very emotionally driven topic for a lot of people, how can we disprove flat earth rationally? There are a number of ways and they're not so technologically difficult. One um, is the way that observers have been disproving flat earth for thousands of years. When things disappear over the horizon, they disappear bottom first. So if a ship is sailing away from you in port, you can see the hull of the ship disappear first. And you don't even need to be near the ocean to see this. You can observe it in a sunset over the horizon or a sunrise. You'll see the bottom of the sun sink below the horizon during a, a sunset and vice versa, rise top first. And that could only happen on a globe. Um, you can very easily do experiments with sticks, for example, in, in the ground and um, measuring angles and lengths of shadows as they differ across the world. If you can picture on a, uh, on a dinner plate, if you put two sticks um, standing upright and you shown a single light source on them, the shadows would be at the same angle. And that's not true on a globe where um, the light is going to be bouncing off at a different angle, creating shadows of different lengths and uh, degrees. So that's one way that we've for thousands of years been calculating not just that we live on a globe, but even the size of the globe. This is a little tackier, but if you have a food cult pendulum, it's a, um, it's a weight on the end of a, a string. It will show the Earth's rotation just by the changes of how the pendulum is swinging over the course of the day. Lunar eclipses are another great, very low-tech way of proving the globe because 
you can actually see the shadow of the globe as it passes in front of the moon. You can see the round earth um, as it's obscuring the moon. And it's, it's a very easy and difficult to uh, argue with proof of uh, round earth. Star movements uh, are different um, in the northern and southern hemispheres. This wouldn't really work on a flat earth model. In a flat earth model, you'd have to have stars really zipping around Antarctica at a crazy rate. And, you know, one of my favorites is there are literally pictures of the globe from outer space. Flat earthers will take issue with these arguments because they don't believe in outer space, so they say that they are necessarily fake. But, you know, I think that's a, a bit of a cop-out for uh, what is a very easy flat earth, or rather, round earth proof. So... We've known Earth is round for a long time, and I think this is something on which uh, round earthers have sort of slipped because there's this very widely held misconception that we that flat Earth is a long-held belief and that we've only recently converted to the globe. That's actually not true. We've known for more than 2,000 years that we live on a globe, and we have evidence of uh, mathematicians like Pythagoras proposing a globe around 500 BCE. He's not the only one to do that. Um, there were other Greek and Egyptian mathematicians coming up with similar estimates around the same time. Uh, you can not only propose that we live in a globe, but also start to do some basic calculations using things like um, sticks and shadows to understand roughly how big this planet is. So it's not um, it's not that hard to figure out, and these theories don't really give our ancestors a lot of credit. So, of course, by the age of exploration, no, Columbus didn't fear going off the edge of the world. He had a, a lot of faults, but that was not one of them. And, in fact, where did that myth of Columbus and Flat Earth come from? It seems like it was mostly invented by the author Washington Irving in the 19th century in a book he wrote about Columbus. So it's actually the idea of flat earth that is a modern invention. Um, it's not a, a long-held belief that we've recently surrendered. It's, uh, it's something that's been with us for a long time. So if, earth, if flat earth is a new invention... Who invented it? We have uh, this charming fellow, Samuel Robotham, to blame. <laughs> he was an English inventor um, living in the uh, uh, early to mid-19th century, and he was a really interesting fellow. He was an idealist, and in his youth, he spent a lot of time with the Owenite movement. This was a sort of pre-Marxist socialist movement that believed you could form utopian workers' communes that would set a precedent for peace and prosperity throughout the world. Uh, Rob Otham actually tried leading one of those communes in Cambridgeshire. Uh, it ended really badly. It was very short-lived. It was um, extremely drunk all the time. They had a hermit who wouldn't leave. And it, it was a bit of a uh, black mark on Rob Otham's record for quite a while. So after this commune imploded, he tried pivoting. He actually uh, shed his name and took on a pseudonym. 
And he started selling fake medicine, miracle cures. He claimed that uh, phosphoric acid could basically make people immortal. And he sold glorified soda water, really, and claimed it was a, a miracle cure for all kinds of ailments. I think that's really interesting because miracle cures and conspiracy theories often operate on similar logic. Both of them posit um, alternate theories that give people hope. And if you believe that you can cure cancer or, um, or you know, liver problems by drinking a lot of soda water, that suggests that health is very easily accessible, it's very easily affordable. And I think that model of, um, of selling false hope really translates nicely from miracle cures to conspiracy theories which is where Rowbotham went next. Um, he wasn't getting quite enough acclaim with his soda water cure, so he returned to the commune that he'd led in his uh, early 20s. This commune was on a canal called the Bedford Level. The Bedford Level is about six miles long. It's very flat and straight, and it's a good place to argue that this looks like a flat planet. Robotham would wade into the canal and try and perform measurements there. He would take, um, he would line up, say, targets and claim that the horizon could be seen further than it should on a round Earth. Now, we know he was either messing up his measurements or outright lying, but that doesn't matter because he turned those false claims into the basis of a new science, which he called Zetetic Astronomy. He made books and pamphlets of that name, and he went on a lecture circuit promoting what he said was a uh, flat model of the world. And it seems wild that anybody would believe that theory, even in the 1800s when we didn't have space travel, we didn't have pictures of the round Earth, but he did actually make some converts. And I want to visit some press coverage of the events that he held. So this is, um, this is an event that he held in Leeds. And this is a newspaper write-up, 1860, uh, 1867. And they describe him as bringing a big wealth of evidence to these events. He would have diagrams. He would explain his theories and these diagrams with a lot of animation. It actually reminds me in some senses of modern day YouTubers who will bring a whole slideshow and argue very uh, passionately for their theory. Here's another write-up from one of the same events on that lecture circuit. And the reporter is saying, well, we can't say that we support this theory, but he argues for it with a lot of skill. And unlike the people who come to argue with him, he doesn't lose his patience. He was a very level-headed and very skillful debater. And this testimony is actually from a reverend who was very frustrated after Robotham came to town on this tour because a number of this reverend's uh, congregation actually converted to flat earth belief. Um, and this was a reverend who had a lot of, um, he was kind of an amateur astronomer himself, so he could 
debunked these theories, but he couldn't change his congregation's mind when they became swept away, as he said, with uh, Rao Botham's talking points. Now, I get into these folks in my book, um, and I can't at length here, but Rao Botham wasn't the only very colorful flat earth figure in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, one of them was Lady Elizabeth Ann Blunt. She was the head of the Universal Zetetic Society. This was a flat earth group that existed uh, shortly after Rao Botham's death. And Lady Blunt was a, uh, she was almost a, a bohemian character. She liked her music and her art, and she would write songs about flat earth that she eventually worked into a novel. In this novel, a thinly disguised version of herself is uh, preaching about flat earth and she'll break into flat earth song and there's sheet music that you can follow along and understand what this character is saying. Paul Kruger, the president of a short-lived uh, South African nation, was also a flat earther. We have very funny records of people trying to discuss their trips to South Africa with him and talking about sailing around the planet. And Kruger would get very upset about this and say, no, you sail within the planet because he didn't think that Earth was something round that could be circumnavigated. And one of my favorite flat earthers is uh, this fellow named Wilbur Glenn Bolivar. He was the leader of Zion, Illinois, which was a town slightly outside of Chicago in the U.S., Zion was interesting because it was founded explicitly as a religious community. There was one central church and they designed the town so that they would have control over how schools were run, how laws were passed, how public spaces were administrated. But unfortunately for them, Volova, who was a preacher in the church, um, converted to flat earth belief shortly after the town's founding. And he used that belief to rule with an iron fist. He mandated flat earth in schools. And he would uh, rip up uh, church hymns and replace references to the globe with references to flatness. He had a uh, police force that patrolled uh, not with guns in their holsters, but with Bibles, because he thought that flat earth was a biblical belief. And his conspiracy thinking bled into other elements of his life. Um, on multiple occasions, his chosen candidates lost election. And Volova would promote conspiracy theories about voter fraud and say how they actually uh, he actually did remain in power. And these claims worked. This was such a conspiratorial community that he was able to retain power. And he did that for decades and decades he called himself a theocrat, and that was literally true of him. But all of these figures are somewhat lost to history. Most people don't know about Volova or the history of Zion, Illinois, which still exists. Often when I was uh, writing this book and discussing Flat Earth with people, what they were familiar with was a group called the Flat Earth Society. So the Flat Earth Society is a, another English invention. It has its origins with a man named Samuel Shenton. 
He wasn't a highly educated man. He was a sign painter. But he became disillusioned with the globe in high school when he had an idea for a flying machine. And a lot of it was based on his misunderstanding of exactly how the Earth and rotation really worked. He had this idea that if you had a machine that was almost like a helicopter, you could go up in the air, levitate in place for a couple hours, and then Earth would rotate underneath you and you'd land uh, somewhere else. That doesn't work, of course, when you're up in a plane or a helicopter, you're moving with Earth's atmosphere. But he didn't understand that. And his teachers, who he suggested the idea to, didn't explain it well either. And so he doubled down in his belief. He spent a lot of time in the library looking for reasons why an invention like that should work. And he unfortunately found record of a similar invention by a member of the Universal Zetetic Society, the flat earth group that Lady Blunt had led. So he spent literally decades reading everything he could on flat earth. Um, and then in, uh, in 1956, he had the uh, very, interest, uh, very interesting coincidence happen to him. A newspaper that was making fun of the idea that anyone could be a flat earther put out a call, said, hey, does anyone believe this crazy thing? And uh, he, Samuel Shenton, wrote in and said, yes, I do believe it. And the newspaper made fun of him and said, well, why don't you go start a flat earth club then? You can be president. And that's exactly what he did. He launched the International Flat Earth Research Society from his living room in 1956. This club was really a joke to everybody besides Samuel Shenton, who was a committed believer. We know that the first meeting had maybe a few genuine flat earthers, but there were also people who were there um, just as a curiosity. There were writers, there were people who thought it was very funny. Um, Shenton was fairly open about the fact that he never really managed to convert anyone, maybe not even his own wife, who was somewhat skeptical. But he was a popular guest in uh, university lecture circuits. College clubs would invite him to give speeches because they thought he was funny. And although he wasn't making a lot of converts, he was getting Flat Earth's name out there and keeping the theory alive for a lot of people. Part of Samuel Shenton's struggle was that he was trying to argue for Flat Earth in an age of space exploration, when pictures of the round Earth would become more and more available. So as I mentioned before, um, space travel is a pressing issue for flat earthers. They don't believe in outer space. And so space programs are necessarily a little troubling for them. During his leadership of the Flat Earth Society, Samuel Shenton had to come up with some increasingly innovative excuses for why space travel seemed to show around Earth. When the uh, Soviet cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin first orbited Earth, Shenton took a few minutes and said, I don't really understand how this is possible. But later he came back and he revised his, his thesis. And he said, okay, what must have happened was rather than go up and orbit the globe, Gagarin must have 
gone up and done a circle above the flat earth, almost like hands on a clock orbiting the face. He said he uh, may have went in a circle. He may have thought he went in a circle around the earth, but actually was traveling in an ellipse parallel to earth, which is innovative. You know, you got to give him credit for that. Uh, Shenton and other flat earthers were also pioneers of uh, early moon landing hoaxes. Samuel Shenton didn't believe in the moon in a conventional sense. He thought that it was a semi-transparent light in the sky. He thought that he could see stars shining through it. And so he said it was impossible for a moon landing to happen because what would you land on? But the moon landing has... uh, been an issue for flat earthers from then on out. And the the folks who inherited the Flat Earth Society, who we'll learn about in the next slide, were some of the first proponents of the theory that uh, the moon landing was staged in a Hollywood uh, production studio. So we do see an early involvement of flat earth in what is now a fairly popular conspiracy theory about the moon landing. After Shenton died, he passed on the Flat Earth Society's leadership to a U.S.-based couple, Charles and Marjorie Johnson. These are really interesting people. Um, Charles Johnson was almost a lifelong flat earther. When he was a schoolboy, he wrote a letter to Voliva in Zion, Illinois, asking him about his belief and telling him that he agreed with him. And that was really rare because there weren't so many flat earthers. And to uh, to have that lineage from Valva to Charles Johnson, uh, a pair of people whose lifetimes uh, spanned more than a century, is really something. Marjorie Johnson was a, an Australian-born woman whose flat earth belief came out of her misunderstanding of the globe and how Australia works on it. She mistakenly believed that because Australia is down under, uh, all Australians would have to be hanging from their feet in the globe model. And she moved to the U.S. and gravity felt the same here. And she said, that's not true at all. I've never hung by my feet. And she went uh, and she got signed affidavits in front of official notarized witnesses testifying that she never hung from her feet. And that was part of... uh, the, her basis for arguing for a flat earth. The, this couple, uh, they led the Flat Earth Society for decades. Um, they did actually increase its membership roles. They had a fairly popular flat earth publication. Charles would go on trashy uh, nighttime news programs where people would yell at him and he'd sit there and very calmly try and make arguments in favor of flat earth. So they were the movement for quite a while. Unfortunately for them and for Flat Earth, um, when Charles died in 2001, shortly after Marjorie, um, the Flat Earth movement took, uh, it, it took a hiatus. Part of the reason for that was because this was a very pen and paper movement when they were leading it. The Johnsons weren't online. They had a physical newspaper that they would send out periodically. They kept membership rolls, um, again, on paper in their house. Uh, It was not digitized. It was not online. And they had a devastating house fire in the late 90s. So 
a lot of the records and a lot of the movement's momentum went up in flames. But that changed around 2004, where another American operating with the name Daniel Shenton revived the Flat Earth Society as a forum. He said he got into Flat Earth because he uh, listened to an electronic album that had Flat Earth in the title, and he started looking into information and found out about the Johnsons and their society. What he did was he went back and he got a lot of the remaining records. He digitized them. He made them available online. And he opened this forum for debate. And this is where we see Flat Earth start to move into the internet world. Um, when people ask me why Flat Earth is so big now, the very short answer is the internet. It's uh, been just an absolute gift to the Flat Earth movement. But one thing I want to flag is that Flat Earthers have always been early adopters of new technologies and new forms of communication. Samuel Robotham was uh, self-publishing his books and uh, making use of uh, more affordable printing presses and wider distribution uh, in his time. Um, Voliva, the Zion leader, was an early pioneer of long-range radio. He would have radio broadcasts that he could even beam into the ocean uh, so that sailors were picking up flat-earth messaging from, you know, the middle of the Atlantic. And so I think it stands to reason that flat-earth did quite well on the Internet. Um there were a lot of conspiratorial sources in the early internet. And you can kind of imagine why. Um, you know, to my earlier point about conspiracy theories really thriving as secretive, uh, as communities that, you know, prize secretive knowledge and uh, prize the group's position as uh, understanding this privileged information that was really powerful, I think, on the early internet, um, where these communities were able to form and able to rally around the sense of having a, having a secret that they all shared. So we saw a lot of prominent uh, conspiracy networks start to form in the early 2000s. We saw the rise of Infowars. We saw the, uh, the influence of early Y2K conspiracy theories really start to become the basis of these networks that people were trafficking in. And part of that is um, the internet offered people new ways of forming community with each other. If you were a flat earther in the pre-internet days, it was very unlikely you were going to find another flat earther. You would have to run into them accidentally or be in one of the rare places that had a flat earth society. The internet changed that. With the internet, you can find community just in about just anything you want. Um, so there, there are definitely some upsides to that. You know, you can get involved in activism that you might not otherwise be able to. You can find peers and friends in ways that you wouldn't be able to offline. Um, but with Flat Earth, what it allowed people to do was find um, other believers where 
they wouldn't exist. And it allowed people to have a sense of community um, where it would otherwise be very difficult to build in this fringe uh, belief system. So a lot of what I'm talking about there is um, it, it functioned on Web 1.0, the you know pre-social media internet, but social media really catapulted theories like flat earth into the mainstream. Part of that is because these websites are focused on making money. They're not just uh, forums that are operated by a volunteer moderator. They are a bit more sophisticated. And to that end, they have algorithms that dictate how certain content performs on those sites. The best example I can cite here is YouTube, which is very, very central to how Flat Earth has spread and become popular. Um, YouTube has a recommendation algorithm. And I think that's something that everyone will recognize. It's um, the recommendations that pop up alongside a video that you're watching. So if you're watching a video about uh, baking pancakes, it will recommend a video about baking muffins. It tries to guess the things that it thinks we're interested in and that we'll click on next. <laughs> Unfortunately, these algorithms understand a lot of our worst impulses. And they understand that what we often want to watch is not fact-based or reality-based. It's often sensational, it's weird, it's attention-grabbing. It's the thing that you want to click at two in the morning. And conspiracy theories, especially flat earth, often fall under that rubric. Conspiracy videos would do much better than other videos for those same reasons, for um, the sensationalism of them. And because if you see a video with a crazy headline, something about Flat Earth, you might be tempted to, excuse me, tempted to click on it just because it's outlandish. In, um, and YouTubers started to realize this. There, some YouTubers who were not necessarily Flat Earthers started to capitalize on what seemed like, um, a trend toward conspiracy videos because they thought that they could get a lot more viewers. So big name YouTubers like Shane Dawson and Logan Paul would make flat earth videos because they knew that they could get viewership. And there are real measurable effects to that sudden conspiracy boom on YouTube. In 2017, a researcher who actually helped make the YouTube algorithm and who had some regrets about it, did an experiment um, searching YouTube for information about Earth's shape. And he found that 35% of YouTube's searches on that topic resulted in flat Earth videos rather than round Earth videos. That is a huge distortion of uh, scientific reality. It's a huge distortion of how many people believe in flat earth, but because there was already this saturation of flat earth videos and because they did get uh, promoted in this algorithm, that's what came up when he was searching. And for many current flat earthers, that's how they converted. Um, most of the flat earthers I've met in person have told me that they converted via YouTube. 
they tell me that they were watching something only tangentially related to flat earth, like a video about astronomy or uh, religion or uh, another lesser conspiracy theory. And that flat earth videos came in the recommendations. They'll often say that it felt like flat earth found them, not vice versa. And a uh, Texas Tech University study tried to quantify that. They talked to dozens of flat earthers. They could only find, I think, two who uh, did not convert via YouTube. So it was a huge, huge push for this conspiracy theory. So just as some uh, non-flat earth YouTubers had uh, a very cynical understanding of how flat earth could propel them to better viewership numbers, a lot of people on YouTube were genuinely starting to convert to this theory and genuinely starting to understand how they could make a bit of a name for themselves. So we saw an emergence of flat earth YouTube channels of people who might um, start making a pseudonym and promoting themselves and doing flat earth experiments and building a bit of a following around this false belief. Around the same time, there were similar booms in flat earth on other social media sites. Until recently, there were a couple flat earth Facebook groups with more than 100,000 members. They've recently got banned, so they don't exist in quite that uh, quantity anymore. Um, and this theory started going offline as well. There were a number of flat earth conferences. I've been to flat earth conferences that had more than 600 people there paying oh, from 150 to $350 a ticket, which is quite a lot of money to drop on a theory like this. And to that effect, um, there is a growing flat earth economy. There are YouTubers, of course, who make their name selling flat earth. And there are people who uh, have flat earth Patreons who write pro flat earth books who make flat earth music and flat earth merchandise, hats and shirts and things um, that they make a living from. They have uh, real financial stakes in the survival of this theory. And so a lot of people ask me, okay, you know, flat earth is out there. It's a weird theory, but don't people have the right to believe whatever they want? And that's true. People do have that right. But I have a number of concerns about flat earth and the general spread of conspiracy theories at this moment. I think right now we're existing in a moment of uh, radical crossover between conspiracy movements. When I started researching flat earth in 2017, I found that it was a bit more siloed online. If I was in a flat earth Facebook group, I found that it was often fairly narrowly discussing flat earth and the evidence for and uh, networking people who believed in this theory. Whereas now I find that those groups bring in a lot, uh, a lot more work from other conspiracy theories. You'll be in a flat earth Facebook group and it will be referencing um, conspiracy theories about vaccines or politics. And uh, on the opposite side of the coin, often when I'm 
researching other um, other conspiracy theories, I find references to flat earth in those communities. One possible reason for this is that we're frankly living in a conspiratorial moment. Um, after Trump's 2020 loss, the Republican Party in the U.S. really mainstreamed conspiracy theories about the election. They uh, put tremendous credibility in the idea that Trump lost due to election fraud. Of course, we know that's not true. But I think that um, that radical acceptance of conspiracy theories by a huge political institution certainly doesn't help. And it really uh, destabilizes a lot of people's notion of truth, at least in the U.S., And then globally, uh, we had COVID-19, which was a mass radicalizing conspiracy event. Um, You can think of a whole buffet of COVID-related conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories about vaccines, about treatment, about whether the virus is even real. And I think people's grievances due to COVID, be it a conspiracy theory or opposition to lockdowns or masks, have pulled a lot of people in a conspiratorial direction. It's sent a lot of people looking for alternate information, you know, uh, sent a lot of people looking for weird cures or reading strange theories on websites that they might not otherwise access. So I think this is a moment when people have really started looking for conspiracy theories in a way that maybe they wouldn't have done 10 years ago. And that's not without consequence, because even theories like Flat Earth, which seem fairly benign, can have some pretty severe political consequences. Conspiracy theories have been historically used to vilify minority groups. And we see that in any number of situations. We see uh, conspiracy theories about Muslims leading to acts of genocide in Myanmar and killings in India. We see... um, Theories about political minorities leading to political violence in Brazil and Indonesia. Um, And I think very, uh, to my mind, quite obviously, um, there have been a lot of conspiracy theories that center on Jewish people. Um, Decades, centuries of anti-Semitic conspiracy theories um, leading to very tangible and very Uh, often horrific outcomes. And this trend of anti-Semitic conspiracy theories is so long running that I think they've actually shaped the, um, the skeleton of conspiracy thinking in certain ways. So that a lot of more modern conspiracy theories can actually tie their structures to older anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. And to use an example, um, In the early 1900s, there was a forgery text um, that appeared in Russia called the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. It falsely alleged that a cabal of rabbis were uh, conspiring to cause catastrophic world events and uh, rule the world secretly. Even though that document was proven to be a forgery at the time, it was still very influential and people still cite it as a legitimate document. And even when people aren't directly citing that document, you can see how certain 
modern conspiracy theories, take the infrastructure of, of that theory and just change some of the words, you know, substitute rabbis with new world order, or um, just take a lot of the core claims and adjust them slightly to make uh, to make sense in modern contexts. So due to that, there are a lot of anti-Semitic themes that uh, creep into modern conspiracy theories like flat earth. And so unfortunately, when I ask flat earthers, well, who is covering up the uh, the flat earth, quite a number of them will give me somewhat anti-Semitic answers. And, um, you know, of course, when you accept a theory as out there as flat earth, you become more susceptible to other adjacent conspiracy theories. People, uh, if you're willing to believe that there's a, a plot to conceal the planet's shape, you're much more likely to believe things like there's a plot to hurt people with vaccines or there's a plot to um, deny the true president of the United States. And so we see a lot of cross-recruitment from Flat Earth into other conspiracy theories like QAnon, which is a U.S.-based conspiracy theory that falsely claims uh, Democrats are engaging in satanic sex trafficking and eating babies. And then I think there's also risks to individual flat earthers. You know, there's a real um, community element to conspiracy theories. A lot of people who join them are looking for a sense of belonging, are looking for friendship, are looking for a reason to feel good about themselves. But the unfortunate flip side to this is that many flat earthers uh, become alienated from their friends and families and their real world connections. They become so fanatical about this theory that people say, you know, can you tune it, turn it down? We don't really want to listen to this anymore. It becomes a little too strange for the people that they love in their real world. I've met flat earthers who have lost jobs due to this theory. In the book, I talked to a pastor who says he was fired after attending a flat earth conference and planning to bring up flat earth in a, in a sermon. And he didn't just lose his job. He lost his friends connected to the job. He lost his church community. And I think when people lose those real world ties, they very understandably go looking for ways to replace them. They go looking for new friends and new associates who will make them feel good about themselves again, who will make them feel welcome. And I very uh, conveniently, they have recently joined a community like Flat Earth that offers them new friends and new associations. So the, um, the vicious cycle that happens here is that people alienate their real world friends and replace them with Flat Earth friends who pull them further and further into this conspiracy community. And then there is sometimes an element of personal physical risk to conspiracy theorists. Throughout this book, I talk about a man named Mike Hughes. He was a, uh, for several years, a very prominent flat earther. He was an amateur rocket stunt man. And he had this theory that he could build a rocket ship and launch himself into the lower atmosphere and take a picture of Earth's curvature or lack thereof, and that would settle the debate. 
he did a number of test launches that didn't take him high enough to prove the uh, lack of curvature, but that were still quite dangerous. And in February 2020, one of those launches went terribly wrong. He uh, launched sideways, his parachutes failed, and he died on impact. And this was a, a very shocking event for the community. And it was one that was entirely unnecessary because he died in this theory's name when the science has been settled for 2,000 years. Um, but he's not the only one pursuing flat Earth to the edge of the world. I've met multiple people who say that they are planning trips to Antarctica to see the ice wall. Um, and I have very real concerns about these uh, these explorers' preparations or their plans, their supplies. And one told me that he thinks he has a 5% chance of survival, which is uh, a little nutty, I think, to uh, to settle established science. And then um, not just among flat earthers, but among a number of conspiracy theorists, there's a real embrace of vaccine opposition. And so just over the past year, a number of flat earthers have uh, who have previously championed COVID conspiracy theories or vaccine conspiracy theories have died of either COVID or what is suspected to be COVID. They didn't take um they didn't take COVID tests before their deaths, so we can't prove it. And that's another, uh, I think, tragic and avoidable conspiracy-related death. You know, you can all but guarantee your survival if you take a vaccine. And unfortunately, there's a wealth of misinformation guiding people away from those vaccines. So with all that being said, what helps people leave Flat Earth? You know, what I've found talking to a couple flat earthers who have left the movement is that things like debates and uh, efforts to argue someone out of their belief don't tend to succeed. Um, what flat earthers say helps them are conversations with people they trust, conversations that uh, don't encourage a flat earther to double down in their beliefs and don't inspire the fear of being proven wrong, but address the underlying emotional reasons that someone turns toward a conspiracy theory. So I think of these as more discussions than debate. Um, that said, I think a lot of flat earthers need, <clears throat> these um, flat earthers need to have some willingness to change their own minds. I don't think you can fully argue somebody out of their beliefs, but in approaching these conversations with sensitivity and respect for someone's uh, intelligence and emotions, I think you have a better chance. And the last thing I will say is that um, supportive communities are also very helpful for people who are leaving a conspiracy movement. A conspiracy theory often acts as someone's community. Uh, they have a lot of their friends there, a lot of their uh, co-believers and when they renounce the belief, they lose that community as well. So it really helps if they can have a safety net to welcome them back to the round earth and to have people who aren't going to make fun of them in that situation. 
Well, welcome back, everybody, to Skeptics in the Pub Online. Uh, I hope your your glasses are charged and you've had a comfort break and you're ready for now for what is going to be a very interesting Q&A. I can see you've all been asking some really interesting questions. So please, in the chat, welcome back uh, to the virtual stage, our speaker for this evening, uh, Kelly Weil. Um, Kelly, thank you so much for that talk. Um, it was really, really fascinating. And we've got lots of questions on lots of different aspects of it. Um, but perhaps where we'll start is with a question from Bremner, uh, who asks, are flat earthers mostly north centric or are there any flat earthers who place the South Pole at the center of the flat earth? Thank you for that question. That's, that's a great question. There are South centric flat earthers. There is a fairly vibrant flat earth community in Brazil. Uh, one of my great regrets is that I'm not especially Portuguese fluent. So it's not something that I spent a lot of time in, in the book, but um, I can theorize why it might have taken off there. Um, there is a very vibrant conspiracy scene in Brazil, a lot of it fueled by uh, platforms like WhatsApp, which were uh, cited as reasons why political conspiracy theories took off, especially around the election of Bolsonaro. And so I can sort of understand how some of those networks might be repurposed for other conspiracy theories like Flat Earth, which is quite popular there. And there are Australian Flat Earthers. It's not a huge scene, but there was a, uh, a an infamous event uh, a couple years ago where some flat earthers tried hosting a flat earth conference in Australia and uh, they had to call it off because one of the organizers was wanted for burning down a Masonic lodge. So it was, uh, it, it ended before it could begin, but there is a small but lively flat earth Australian scene. And and do they put the the South Pole at the center of the flat Earth, and have they got a different map, or are, are they still working on a, a northern centric map? <laughs> I think they're still working on the on the same map as everyone else, with the North Pole in the middle, ice wall around the outside. Um, but I would love to see you know an Antipodean uh, flat Earth mm. map. That that'd be a great way of uh, remodeling. <laughs> <laughs> um, Igor asks a question which I'm sure you've been asked lots of times but it's it's a it's a extremely worthwhile question to ask which is um, do you find that the majority of flat earthers are genuine or do you think they are as he puts it globe heads who are using it for different reasons I know somebody else posited are flat earthers essentially doing a an epistemic ex experiment on belief rather than actually genuinely believing in the flat earth you know it would be fascinating if they were performing an experiment like that. And that's something I wondered when I first got into Flat Earth. I started encountering it online and I wondered whether people were just doing this to be funny. And what I found is the very vocal majority of Flat Earthers are sincere in their beliefs. I think some people are in it for the lols. Uh, I think some people associated with the Flat Earth Society, frankly, are um, maybe playing along from that more philosophical angle, as you pointed out. But most of the flat earthers that I encounter and that I talk to in this book are very genuine in their beliefs. And they um, are willing to sacrifice for those beliefs, too, in a way that I think uh, a faker wouldn't. You know, they do lose friends and jobs, and they do spend quite a lot of money on this theory. Mm. It becomes part of their identity and their community. So I think most of them are genuine and if you do run into the occasional poser, I don't think they're, uh, I don't think it's very central to their lives. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that's changed at all over time? I think when it comes to the Flat Earth Society, I, I was lucky enough to speak to Michael Wilmore from the Society mm -hmm. 
back in sort of 2014 or 2013 or something. And I got the sense then that there were more people involved who were mucking about and that they were so good at coming up with bizarre explanations for the flat earth that they ended up persuading more people to believe the world was flat. Um, but, I, but I don't know if over time people have kind of changed as they've got into it through YouTube and through the, the material there. Have you got any sense of that, really? I, I think that's a very correct assessment. Um, you know, I've never been able to get an entirely... Uh, straight answer from a lot of Flat Earth Society organizers. Uh, mm. The founder, I somewhat suspect, um, is was not a. I'm sorry, the the founder of the modern group who uses the pseudonym Daniel Shenton. I I do suspect his um, his sincerity. He's not someone I was able to connect with. He's lost touch with the group, but he gave some early interviews to the guardian where he said, Oh, I don't believe in any other conspiracy theories. You know, climate change is real. Um, mm. just things that most conspiracy theorists would not say. Um, and so I think, yes, a lot of flat earth society voices were being a little absurd, whether they were, um, doing it completely as a joke or just trying to navigate what this theory would look like. But to your point, they did actually start converting people. And I had a very interesting interview around maybe 2019 with a spokesperson for the Flat Earth Society who maintains that he's genuine. I don't know. Um, but he said that this is, they've lost the momentum over the movement, which I think is very mm -hmm. funny. There was a time maybe from 2004 to 2014 when they were the loudest voice in the room at, of, in the flat earth movement. But these days it's been overtaken by very genuine flat earthers, excuse me, people often with a very religious bent, people with a more conservative angle who are involved in a lot of other conspiracy theories. So even if the original voices from the early aughts were kind of having a laugh about it, a lot of what they inspired is very serious. Mm. Yeah. Uh, actually, you mentioned something there, which is which is where I was going to go with the next question. You mentioned the religiosity. Mm -hmm. And David asks, there seems to be a correlation between people who believe in the flat earth and those are, who are religious. And do you think one leads to the other or what do you think is the connection there? I think flat earth is uh, very appealing to a lot of quite religious people. One thing that I found in flat earth's founding was that it was uh, often posed as a theory of biblical literalism. They would cherry pick readings of the Bible that seemed to support a, a literal flat earth. Hmm. And they would use that model as a way of hitting back at emerging fields of science, theories like ev um, evolution and theories or facts, really, that challenged religion's place in the world. So, Flat Earth, I think, has always had this reactionary component where it um, allowed believers to put religion back in the driver's seat, I think. Mm. Um, and today, a lot of Flat Earthers are very religious. Um, a number of them are, are, are involved in a certain... Um, it's difficult to explain. A certain kind of occult Christianity, in the U.S. at least... Um, mm. where they're very interested in the appearance of like giants and um, cryptids in the Bible. So there, it's, it's a very religiously grounded theory, even though it doesn't need to be. You can make the case for Flat Earth just citing bad science. But increasingly, I think there is a very religious component to a lot of people's belief. 
Yeah, and it's 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 even kind of a, a creationist religion, religious belief in in parts now. I think, but Absolutely. I know you you mentioned in the book about um, one of the people who were were involved in conversations with flat earthers in the history of flat earth, which was Alfred Russell Wallace, who obviously was a big uh, big champion of uh, of evolution. Um, I'm right in thinking. I remember from the book there's a, there's even a bet he has with uh, with one of uh, Robotham's followers. Could you explain that a little bit? That's right. I think it's a really interesting story. In there. So this is this I think is a case study in why debating flat earthers is often uh, a bit of a lost cause. So uh, late late 1800s, one of Robotham's followers, a man named John Hampton, put out a bet in the newspaper and offered a really incredible sum for somebody who could um, prove the globe Earth. And Wallace took him up on this. He said, okay, you will, we'll go and we'll do a measurement. And they went to the Bedford Canal where Robotham had done his first experiments. And they set up a series of targets um, that would allow them to make precise measurements. And they set up telescopes so that they could see over a great distance. And Wallace made his observations and concluded that, yes, these are consistent with the globe Earth. What Hampton and his uh, friend who had accompanied him did instead is they started... um, immediately poking doubt in those findings they would say oh the targets don't look right or you don't have crosshairs in your telescope you know just absolute goalpost moving um arguments for why these findings couldn't have been right and the debate should have ended there but it ended up going for decades um hampton wrote all these horrible threatening libelous letters and smeared this man and ended up in jail several times. And um, it, it ended up costing both men, actually, a good part of their livelihood. And more than that, it really took a toll on both of their lives. So what should have been a very easy flat earth debunk turned into a tremendously expensive and stressful legal battle. Yeah. And and obviously, there's plenty of figures throughout the history of uh, flat earth who've uh, found their li- the course of their lives changed, and and obviously you you mention one of those uh, Mike Hughes in your book, and you mention it in the talk too. Um, I know in the book you describe Mike Hughes as a friend, and people might find it unusual that somebody who uh, approaches this as kind of a journalist and well as literally a journalist, sorry, is actually a journalist um, to to investigate from that side um, could could become friendly to somebody that they're they're looking at but obviously um that's something that you you describe in there so could you talk a little bit about how you uh, your relationship with with mike and with the, the flat earth people that you've met sure so you know this was an interesting reporting project for me um i normally have a lot faster metabolism on reporting a story you know uh for a news outlet but with this book i had to stay engaged with people for years and I think to do that, I had to foster a bit of um, a better relationship with folks. Hmm. And so whereas I, instead of going to a flat earth conference and debating them and alienating some people, I had to have uh, um, conversations about people and uh, connect in a more emotional basis, I think. And hmm. I found it quite easy to do that with Mike. Um I don't mean that from any cynical way. He was just a decent guy. You know, we um, talked a bit and he would tell me, you know, kind of the origins of his conspiracy belief. They were interesting. They weren't what people might expect. He said he started getting into conspiracy theories 
when he learned about real events that aren't often discussed in American history about genocides of Native Americans. And he felt as though that hadn't been talked about in his school. So therefore it was covered up and what else was covered up. I think that was interesting, you know, that there was a kernel of truth and certainly emotional truth in his uh, conspiracy quest. Mm. So he's someone that I stayed in touch with for a couple years and he would keep me uh, updated on his rocket launches and he was always having feuds with other people in the flat earth movement. I just said, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to meddle here. It's not my place. Um, and yeah. And so his death was quite upsetting to me um, yeah. because I mean, this rocket launch shouldn't have happened. Um, and we had discussed the danger of it. He had told me about issues he was having with this rocket build. Um, and I think after the fact, it is very easy to wonder exactly how much I should have intervened or if I could have intervened in any capacity because I did always believe that this was very dangerous. Mm. Um, on the other hand, you know, I ended up speaking to a lot of his friends and family who said that they tried intervening too and there wasn't much they could have done. Um, but it, it was it, it was an upsetting event, definitely. Um, you get to know these people over the course of years, and even if you disagree with them on very fundamental levels, you don't want to see bad things happen to them. Yeah, of course, and it's 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 one of those strange things that when you you do have you do develop relationships with people uh, in in those kind of communities, it can be quite odd. Um, do you ever find you get quite, I guess, kind of defensive or protective of them when you see people outside of that just saying, oh, you know, saying, making assumptions and 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 writing them off? Uh, I always find I feel quite protective over the people I know in the conspiracy theories that, uh, that I've been around. Sometimes, and especially with Mike, because, you know, flat earthers are easy to make fun of. And part of part of it is the reason that, that I was drawn to the theory. I thought it was so weird, right? Um, and so people assume that flat earthers are stupid um, or their lives are irrelevant. Um, and I mean, Mike's death was captured on a live stream. Uh, there was live video of him crashing his rocket. It was really terrible. Um, and almost immediately, there were people in the comments saying, oh, he's a flat, flat earther now or nominating him for the Darwin Award. And yeah. You know, I, I think those things are easier to say to remove, but as soon as you know someone even slightly, and, you know, we weren't best buddies, we weren't hanging out all the time, um, they become tremendously cruel, even if, again, you don't agree with the person at all. Um, so in that in that capacity, yes, I think I was a bit defensive of him because all these portrayals of him as dumb or as someone it didn't matter whether he lived or died that's not true um it did matter and yeah so it's um it's strange to find yourself on the other side of the fence so to speak it's it's um you can understand why a lot of flat earthers do feel i think uh kind of an anticipatory uh defensiveness toward other people yeah. And it's, it's something I guess you said towards the end of your talk about how it's by keeping by trying to re-engage with people and preventing them from being isolated. That's how we get them back. And, and I'm not sure how much uh, how, how much we're doing the cause of uh, helping people back to rationality um, when we just insult and, right. uh, and throw around uh, that kind of their thing. deaths. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got a question here from uh, Gray the Earthling who asks, what theories are there about why people would want to hide the shape of the Earth and who benefits from people believing the Earth is flat? That's a good question. And if you ask flat earthers, you'll get a number of answers as well. Um, a lot of flat earthers will cite religious reasons. They'll say that... Um, uh, that scientific figures want to make you doubt God's model of the world so that they can, you know, um, draw you away from religion. Uh, there are a lot of people who will credit things like uh, NASA and the government and say that uh, that Flat Earth is a part of a scheme to keep you oppressed. And uh, that that one doesn't entirely shake out to me. I can't fully understand the reasoning, but they, they do say that, you know, it's part of a, um, it's plot of, part of an oppressive political plot to keep the people down. There are people who will answer with very anti-Semitic answers, uh, who, mm. you know, uh, just flat out, you know, accuse Jewish people of being involved in this plot. And there are some really, really strange answers. <laughs> One of the weirdest ones I've encountered was a man who told me that he believes flat earth is a plot to trick us into believing the outer space exists so that we will believe that aliens exist so that when Jesus comes down again, we will mistake him for an alien and kill him. So wow. <laughs> he's clearly given it some thought. Um, but a lot of people have their various explanations and it's interesting to see how flat earth can be uh, reconfigured for people's various needs. Yeah, yeah. I always find that interesting when it comes to UK believers in the flat earth, when they'll ascribe so much of the conspiracy to being the control of NASA. Yeah. So NASA can get budgets. So, well, we've got the European Space Agency, <laughs> who's, you know, we're, we're nothing to do with NASA. You know, they've got no no sway here. Um, Igor asks, it's kind of a follow up to what you were saying there, um, I guess. Uh, he asks, do you think there's any theory that's too crazy to gather followers? Or do you think it's about style, not substance? Ooh, that's a good question. You know, I think... I think that with the right delivery, people can believe just about anything. Flat Earth to me is, I can't think of much that would be harder to convince somebody of. And yet Flat Earth does have a, a significant following. I think with the right motivation, people can be persuaded of anything. And if you have a theory that's outlandish like Flat Earth, but it speaks to somebody's previously held beliefs, it helps them support their religious leanings or their political leanings, then I think that people can be persuaded of it. And so, no, I haven't found the hard limit of, of wacky when it comes to theories. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's uh, one of the things that what people come to believe isn't really influenced by the facts that you give them and the evidence you present. But first of all, it's influenced by the values that they hold and what what boxes they need to tick in their head and, and how it fits to their their identity and worldview, first of all. And then they'll backfill the evidence and the, and the, the, the facts to fit after that. That's right, because these theories are not the most rational explanations. They're often entirely irrational, but they are... Um, they're configured to meet people's emotional needs. Um, and I think yeah. that is one of the better ways of understanding them rather than as a, um, as a scientific belief that you can argue somebody out of. Mm. And, and as a follow-up to that, Lee asks, do you think that the expected increase in manned space missions over the next decade will lead to a reduction in flat Earth believer numbers as we see more people getting up there into space and you know seeing it and proving it for themselves? I would love to believe that, but I think... 
flat earthers have already um, built up, you know, the, the barricade in their mind against space. They already believe that outer space is fake, and often they will find reasons to suggest that uh, that information about space travel is part of a plot against them. That um, mm-hmm. that footage from the International Space Station is an ongoing ruse, and that you know it's uh, you know designed to trick people. So I don't know that more space footage or more space access will do much to change their minds on that front. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have a question here from Nadia who asks, um, given photo and video editing technology are becoming more and more widespread and available and sophisticated, is it getting more and more difficult to prove to disprove conspiracies? Huh. That's a good question. Um, I don't think so. Um, I, I, I fielded a similar question the other day about um, deep fakes, you know, the ability to... Hmm modify video to make it look like someone's saying something they're not. Uh, What I would suggest here is that conspiracy theorists have already allowed themselves to believe things that are less, to believe evidence that is not very plausible. So I don't know that better video editing is necessarily going to help them cement their beliefs further, if only because they didn't need that high-tech stuff to begin with. Now, I could be wrong. Um, you know, there are there are troubling um, elements to say there's a, there's a deepfake video the other day of um, Zelensky in Ukraine falsely suggesting mm-hmm. that he was telling people to lay down their weapons. And I don't think that convinced many people, but if the tech were better, Maybe it could have. So it's a little hard for me to forecast right now, but my optimistic read is no, they were already willing to proceed with poor evidence. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it's it's the case that they were already willing to write off anything they see as being fake mm-hmm. anyway. Um, it doesn't need technology to get better for them to, uh, to <laughs> right. continue doing that. Yeah. And um, we have a question here from Michal who asks, um, do you know of any modern flat earthers who changed their minds and started to accept the spherical earth again? Mm-hmm. I was able to speak to a number of modern flat earthers who changed their minds. And I was really grateful for that because I think a lot of flat earthers who leave the theory are a little embarrassed and they don't really want to advertise that change of belief. It makes sense. Um mm-hmm. But there are two specifically who I cite in the uh, near the end of the book who not only did they change their mind, but they converted their YouTube channels from flat earth to round earth in trying mm. to talk people out of the um, <clears throat> out of the flat earth arguments that converted them. I thought that was fascinating. And, um, you know, to my earlier point, the things that helped them were compassionate conversations with globe earthers they weren't debates but they were um they were having globe earthers who um who who spoke to them as you know intelligent individuals who addressed you know emotionally why they had fallen for that theory and then you know point by point did debunks and that seemed to help them and now they're trying to do the same thing for other people that's that's great and 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 those those principles are obviously um, applicable far beyond just a flat earth belief. And obviously, as we see a massive anti-vax movement, the same principles can be applied in the people who are 
passionately anti-vax by demonizing them and writing them off we just leave them isolated themselves but by actually talking to them compassionately uh, politely friendly give them the space to t- change their mind um it, it allows them to come out of other beliefs as well doesn't it i hope so yes i mean again i think you know people do need to be willing to change their minds and it sometimes sometimes it can be difficult to have those conversations if someone has a um, a particularly toxic belief, something like an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. I can't pretend I spend a lot of time trying to convert those people, but generally, I do think that there is um, there is hope in bringing people back through you know compassionate engagement, and that's mm. why I think you know if these um, conversations can come from within someone's community, from someone that a person already trusts them, that's one of the best ways of doing it. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, Dave J asks, where do you see the flat earth movement going in the future? That's a good question. You know, I don't see flat earth ever becoming a huge theory. I don't think it's something like the anti-vaccine movement that can fully capture a huge audience. I think it's still a little too out there. But what I do see happening in the flat earth movement is it's becoming more of a, um, a vector for the spread of other conspiracy theories. Whereas it might have been a bit more isolated in the past, now I'm seeing a lot of flat earthers who are getting involved in QAnon conspiracy theories, who are uh, getting involved in COVID conspiracy theories. So I think broadly, the conspiracy community um, is becoming a bit better networked. It has a better understanding of how to um, recruit people across conspiracy lines. So um, I anticipate seeing those boundaries become a bit more porous and other conspiracy mm. theorists dabbling in flat earth and flat earthers getting into other theories. And uh, one example that just came to mind is um, there was a viral video at the beginning of the COVID outbreak here um, of a woman false, stating this like false legal justification for why she, sh- she should be allowed in a grocery store with no mask. And I was watching and said, oh, I know her. I talked to her at the last Flat Earth conference I was at. So you know, these people can retool their conspiracy networks to to fit other aims. Yeah, it's, it's funny you should mention that because um, I, I went to the, the UK Flat Earth Convention and one of the speakers there was a guy called um, Darren Nesbitt, mm-hmm. who I interviewed for my podcast uh, in 2018. And then was really surprised when COVID happened and up there on stage at a big COVID rally singing COVID denialist songs uh, was Darren Nesbitt, who's now the editor and and founder of an entire COVID conspiracy newspaper. Um, And it just seems a straight line from that mega conspiracy theory of all-encompassing conspiracy theory into QAnon, into uh, COVID, and into wherever we go next, whether it's New World Order or, or something like that. It just seems like I mean, maybe you could speak to this as to how much flat earth has kind of softened the ground for other conspiracy theories and just onboarded people into those grand narrative conspiracy theories that the details may change, but the shape of it will always kind of remain the same. Absolutely. I think a grand narrative is a great way of thinking about these conspiracy theories because there are other narrower conspiracy theories that you can believe in and still exist very fairly comfortably in the mainstream. You can be into JFK assassination conspiracy theories, and that doesn't really change your worldview. Whereas um, flat earth belief asks you to really tear down all established facts and fill in the blanks with new information. I think that's a really useful tool, rather, whether it's um, just for flat earth belief or it's for other conspiracy theories, it really opens up people's minds in a way that I don't think is 
admirable. It's not a, it's not the nice kind of open-mindedness. And so flat earth, you know, it, it makes that space for doubt. And I would also say that the flat earth movement has uh, taught itself how to network online. Mm. It's taught itself, you know, how to host these events, how to run these social media groups, how to um, hijack SEO and make something appear very high in a YouTube search. And um, that is available to them for the next thing that they go to. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, let's see, we have another question here. Where are we going to go next? Um, yeah, so here's a question by uh, Plague by Foibles, who asks, how do you ensure that you've got enough information to combat any fallacious or disingenuous claims made by conspiracy theorists that you're talking to? Do you have any useful research techniques for that? Hmm. You know, I don't spend a lot of time in debate with at least flat earthers. Part of the reason was because when I was researching this book, uh, I, I was fairly embedded in the community and I didn't want to... Hmm. Uh, disturb it too much. And the other reason is, as a journalist, as someone they might inherently distrust a bit, I don't think I'm the best person to have these debates and try and convert people. That said, you know, I, I think um, Flat Earth is fairly easy to debunk. And so um, I've never come across a Flat Earth proof that uh, really spoke to me or that I couldn't, you know, research my way out of quite quickly. I do encounter a lot of other theories in my daily work. And, you know, I I do have to spend a bit of time researching the theory and finding out exactly what's right and wrong in it. And that's um, it is a maddening process, but it's something that I think a lot of people are going through every day now. And a lot of people encounter these theories quite passively on their Facebook pages and need to learn a bit of, uh, you know, media literacy and, uh, unpacking, you know, whether or not they're true. So it's something that I'm involved in and that I think a lot of other people are doing as well, even if they're not professionally doing this. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got another question from Egon. It might be one of the last questions that we ask. Um, and he asks, what's the craziest case of compartmentalization you've seen? You know, people hold one belief that's oh. completely different to others. He asks, have you ever seen a flat earther who believes in a hollow earth or something similar like that? Have you come across anything like that? I've never met someone who holds both flat earth and hollow earth belief. And this isn't directly what he was asking, but there was a really fascinating um, incident at a 2018 Flat Earth conference I attended where they said, we're going to be objective. We're going to have a debate on stage between a flat earther and a round earther. I'm like, OK, I want to watch this. And mm -hmm. I showed up and it was a flat earther as advertised. But the round earther believed in a uh, geocentric model of the solar system where Earth orbited the sun and i said that is uh that is a very selective choice of round <laughs> earther you put up there you know um I, as far as w one person's compartmentalization you know i don't know if i've seen it so much th this isn't exactly a flat earth answer but i've seen a lot of people who are broadly bigoted toward a group but can deeply love somebody who's part of it you know I run yeah, into a yeah. lot of people who promote racist conspiracy theories and have, you know, a, a, a son-in-law who's black. And they'll use that as evidence that they can't be racist. And yet they're posting this wealth of just vitriolic stuff. And so it's um, it, compartmentalization is a good word for it because, you know, it's um, 
people buy into these system-wide beliefs that don't align at all with the realities they live. Yeah, and just on, on that, I think one of the, the, the best examples I found was, um, I don't know if you knew that the Flat Earth Society used to have a podcast. I think it only ran for three episodes. <laughs> and two of the episodes were a debate between the Flat Earthers and a Hollow Earther. Mm. And when I tuned into it, I was expecting to hear something really exciting, because obviously those two models are completely incompatible. And I heard nothing but agreement that the rest of the world <laughs> was uh, was wrong. And so as long as you agreed that the rest of the world was wrong, it doesn't matter what version of right you were, uh, you were on the same side. And uh, I don't know how much you see of that in the time you spent in the, the, the flat earth community and other kind of communities that people will have very different ideas that they'll never really spend a lot of time examining the differences between their ideas. They'll just agree that you're on the same side as us and therefore we can just talk about how wrong everybody else is. I think there's definitely a degree of that. Um, you know, what strikes me is that one of the most popular flat earth videos is one that says uh, it's called 200 proofs that earth is not a spinning ball. And people can very easily go through and debunk point by point. But what's powerful about there being 200 proofs is that a flat earther can say, okay, well, you're right. This part doesn't make any sense. But what about proof number 151? And so I think it's interesting that it's not so much that they have the evidence, they don't, but that the sentiment of being right and of being this, um, being on the inside of this small uh, privileged movement, uh, it, it's still true to them. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's fascinating to me how many of those proofs are taken directly from Robotham's Parallax uh, <laughs> Astronomy pamphlet, right down to exactly the same diagrams. You know, this is 150 years uh, old, this diagram, and it's still being trotted out as being uh, evidence today. It's wonderful. Yeah, it, 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 you would think that they would update it a little bit and they're they're still going with the, the original scripture. <laughs> yeah, no, there's nothing new under the under the sun, whether the sun's flat or round or uh, or anything. I don't know. Um, well, Kelly, I think that's a great place to end. So, Kelly, well, thank you so much for a really fascinating talk and a really interesting Q and A. I know that our audience have really, really enjoyed it. Um, so, thank you so much for for this tonight. Thank you so much. That was the Skeptics in the Pub online podcast. For more sceptical content, including information about future talks, please like us on Facebook, follow at SITP on Twitter, or head to our website at sitp.online, where you'll also find a link to all the ways you can get in touch with us, including our Discord server. Music in this episode was provided by Thula Bora and used with permission. Until next time, thanks for listening.